This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome in to Bartholomew Town's continuing coverage of the impact of COVID-19 here in Rhode Island. I'm Bill Bartholomew. On this episode, a conversation with the Rhode Island Department of Health's Dr. Jim McDonald. All right, let's let's get right to it. If you could just sort of kind of reset the, the, the table for everyone out there who, where are we today in this ongoing saga what so, what can we look for from an optimism standpoint and from a realistic standpoint? Where should the average Rhode Islander be today in terms of their preparation and in terms of what they should be doing, I don't know, into the next few weeks or so? Right. You know, Bill, that's, it's a great place to start. So I think first, let me set some context. You know, when we talk about the SARS, uh, COVID-2 virus, um, you know, the COVID-2 disease, this is still a very new pandemic. And part of why I want to just get that out in the open is, you know, it was 113 days ago when the first patient was, was, was sick in China, right? It was 53 days ago, excuse me, 52 days ago, we had our first case in Rhode Island. So we aren't even through two months of this mm-hmm. in Rhode Island. And, you know, we're, we're in the, we're in it. And, you know, it's funny, like people know we're in the beginning and we're in the middle and the end. I just, I like to say this, we're in it. And, and the bottom line is, you know, there's still a lot going on with the pandemic. And part of what I just want to get as a context order, this is still a new disease. And the thing about new diseases, we're all still learning. You know, one of the things that's different about this disease, it was unlike any other new disease, we're learning together. You know, I was used to going to medical school. We learned about this stuff, but we're learning together. But there's things that are normal now that we, we, we had it before. I mean, we're wearing masks when we go out in public now. You know, I had a Walmart last, I had my wife's birthday today. So I go to Walmart get her a cake because she likes a certain cake at Walmart, right? Everybody's wearing a mask. It's good to see. Everybody's six feet apart. Another healthy thing. That's part of the new normal. I think that new normal is going to be with us for a while. I am optimistic, though, about our future. I'm optimistic because there is this comprehensive plan um, that the state has in place. And it's, 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 it's the Department of Health is at the front of this, but it's way more than just the Department of Health. You know, it's, you, you got everybody from the governor's office, every state agency is involved. And, you know, it reminds me that, you know, public health is first and foremost public. Um, and it, it's really great for everybody to be involved in public health. We kind of need everybody. You know, and a lot has happened, though, in, in the last um, 52 days. You know, I, I think um, a lot of fatalities, um, that's hard. Um, the 5,500 cases, that's hard too, you know, um, and, and I think it's one of those things where it's like we, we have to see where we're going to go in the next few weeks. And I was I was just at a conference call a few minutes ago with somebody from our from the department. I was just saying how, you know, 24 hours is a really long time in the pandemic. So I, I don't really plan more than a day as far as my own life goes here. It's, it's just a lot going on still every single day because we really are still in the midst of the pandemic. Right. I mean, it's, it's clear that it's a, it's an evolving situation, even throughout the day, you know, there's really, sometimes you'll see commentators or whatever, try to use changes as a gutcha moment. But the reality is the situation on the ground, behind the scenes in the public's purview, whatever it may be, that's an ever changing set of circumstances, I guess, on a constant basis, it's really difficult to say exactly where we are, because we're learning as we move along at such a you know, that's that's such an important element is the scientific educational element of this 
crisis and adapting on the fly, I suppose. Yeah, and I think there is a lot of um, just learning as we're going. You know, one of the things that I find kind of remarkable, though, is, you know, we, we're lamenting that we don't have enough test kits for these rapid machines. On the other hand, I'm amazed there was a rapid test invented. Mm-hmm. Part of this out there, you know, when I think about this, like the 113 days ago, the first patient was sick in a hospital in China. And now we're lamenting not having enough rapid tests. And, and that's a good thing in some ways. It's very American to be upset about what our wants are. But the reality of it is, um, I'm thankful there's a rapid test that was created. I'm thankful there's many more rapid tests that are out there. I'm very thankful we have the PCR molecular technology we have to identify things. In other words, a lot has happened that's been very positive as far as making a diagnosis. We're still wanting in treatment, though, and and we don't really have an effective treatment yet. And there's a lot of conversation about hydroxychloroquine. Um, You know, the the most recent study I've seen was very, very wishy-washy. It was like, well, this didn't seem to help anybody. Um, and so, and there's more studies going on. So I'm not passing judgment. What I'm saying though, is that there's still a lot going on in treatment. And I'm excited about that. You know, normally we think about a disease needing years to be treated. Um, this one may be one that we have a treatment for in months, which that would be really exciting if we did. There's more excitement and enthusiasm now about remdesivir. That's the IV drug that Gilead Pharmaceuticals um, has that's been used through this compassionate use. So there's some, there's some enthusiasm about that. And that actually does make sense because that is truly an antiviral medication. So we'll see where treatment takes us. And there's other, other products in the pipeline that I see moving along rapidly. And this has been fun to see the FDA move this quickly. Um, I think it shows you how serious the federal and the state governments are about this. And, you know, and I don't mean to use the word fun, but it's been, it's been interesting to see how fast the state government can move. You know, yeah. we're, we're seeing the state government move every day. And this is getting to your earlier point about this is that um, the state recognizes it's a public health emergency. Everybody's aligned swimming in the right direction. When you have everybody swimming in the same direction, you're going to get through the opposing current or how bad it is because when you swim in the same direction, you create the right flow and you move together. I've been hearing a lot about, and certainly even from my own uh, perspective, seeing a need for an increase in testing in the urban core, walkable test sites, mobile testing, obviously that's being rolled out. Do you foresee that being a priority? And also, I suppose, in terms of senior care centers where I asked Dr. Nicole Alexander-Scott yesterday about the time frame between when a patient or a, a, a provider staff member at a nursing facility um, is tested. That's a seven to, ten, seven to 10 day window right now. Are those the types of specific areas that you're looking to sort of improve in the coming week or so? Is that kind of expedited in, in one way or another? Yeah. So a, a couple of things. One, I, I like what Providence Community Health Center did. They, they took a few weeks building something for walk-up testing, but what they built is sustainable. And what I think what Providence Community Health Center did that I thought was really wise was they recognized there's a long game here. In other words, they need to build something that's going to last um, not just for a couple of days but, or a couple of weeks, but to go on, because this is part of where the future is here. So I, I, I give them a lot of credit for doing it the right way, and, and they're doing a good job. I was exchanging email with Dr. Saul, the medical director, last night. He gave me a good report about day one, and I'm hearing good things about day two going on so far. As far as nursing homes go, our future there is gearing up. We're, we're doing some of this already. We're doing the, what we call cyclical testing. Cyclical testing means we're going to be there every week or so, this testing the staff, and the residents in all of these nursing homes, 
the ones that are most affected at first. And that's really the beginning of our surveillance on this. And part of the reason I talk about surveillance, what surveillance is, and you know, keep in mind, in the, in the past few months, past two months here, we've been doing case finding. Case finding means we're going to try to find the people who are sick. That's what case finding is. It's a public health intervention. That's what case finding is. Surveillance means now we're just testing people who happen to be in a particular environment. And surveillance is different. And the reason why surveillance is important is what we're really recognizing with the virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes the COVID-19 diseases, some people are asymptomatic. And if you find those folks sooner and then have them isolated, get them out of play, um, you're much less likely to spread the disease. So that's why surveillance is important. And then if someday treatment gets available, surveillance will be nice to identify who gets treated first. So, but the surveillance is a nice next step for us. And it's, it's, I'm surprised how quick we were able to get to that. I don't know if other states are getting there. Um, we, we, you know, we want more testing, but we're actually doing more testing than anyone else in the country. Uh, but I think part of the reason we want more testing is we want to get over this pandemic as quick as we can, uh, which is the direction we all want to head in on this. No question about it. What about from on your end, from sort of inside the tent, if you will, how's everyone holding up that's leading the charge here? I mean, this has got to be mentally and physically taxing. I know it's sort of a personal question, but you know, I think just looking at a 52-day run here so far, what is that? What are you learning inside your own department and how maybe to operate, I don't want to say more effectively, but to pass judgment, but differently going forward? Do you, do you feel like the Department of Health writ large is growing through this experience? Yeah. So here's something I've noticed about the Department of Health is, so it has been 52 days. I, I have taken one day off in those 52 days so far. It was Easter Sunday. And that was just a good idea for everybody. I'm actually not tired though. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty enthusiastic. It's like, you know, as a doctor, when the patient's sick, you stand by the bedside and you do what you need to do. So as a public health physician, I'm at the bedside of public health right now, and I'm happy being there. And one of the things I noticed about the department, and it's funny, the Rhode Island Department of Health, it's a very interesting place. Um, from an organizational culture standpoint, and, and this has just been built for years, it's actually a very positive, restorative place to work. Um, I like working in the Rhode Island Department of Health. There's a lot of positive, restorative people. And it was intriguing to me how several, you know, a couple months ago, people just started recognizing this was a big deal. And, you know, I didn't have to ask people to work late and come in early. They just knew that was what you do. And we didn't have to ask people who worked in one part of the Department of Health to start helping in the other part of the department. They recognized there was a need. And when you have a collegial spirit and organizational culture where people actually work well together, this happens rather organically. And I'm pretty excited about that because, you know, I haven't seen that in every place I've worked in my career. And I'm old. I've worked a lot of places. Um, and this is part of why the Department of Health is growing. It's a pretty healthy place to work, though. But, like, I haven't come across a lot of complaining. I haven't seen that. Um, I haven't seen a lot of anger either. I haven't seen that either. I, I do see people being blunt, which I think is really refreshing. Uh, I like bluntness myself, uh, which is good, because when there's an emergency, bluntness moves you quicker. And I, I do think sometimes a healthy organization can be blunt, and, and that's a very good thing to be. Um, you know, I, I can't say that everybody's happy all the time, um, but happy isn't what's needed to survive a pandemic. You need people to be healthy to move forward and work in an effective manner. Um, but most of the time, people seem to be pretty, you know, pretty happy, They're always very professional. I mean, I think the department's growing really rapidly. You know, we've absorbed a lot of people from other state agencies, and there's been more people added recently. 
Because as you think about the army of response that's needed to have to start the Department of Health and keep growing there. So I'm optimistic. I like what I see at the, at the Rideau. What's your message to anyone out there who, whether they're planning on protesting at the state house on Saturday that we should open the economy up completely immediately, or they're a skeptic for whatever reason. I had one person today suggest that there should be a public health campaign in which there's you know, harsh video of someone on a ventilator alone in a hospital room, sort of like the ripple effect that uh, the DOT and RDW group put together, really, again, bluntly demonstrating the impact of this disease. But what's your message to anyone out there who's a skeptic right now of anything that's happening or is trying to resist the work that is happening on the medical and scientific fronts? I think people are, are, are forgetting something really critical here. This is a new disease. And when people start talking about herd immunity, so we know there's herd immunity with measles. We know there's herd immunity with pertussis. We know there's herd immunity with other diseases. And herd immunity means if enough people get the infection, the few that aren't will be protected. COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, is a coronavirus. Coronaviruses cause the common cold every year. The original SARS virus and the MERS viruses were similar. There wasn't long-lasting immunity from those viruses. The really important point I'm saying is, I don't know that there'll be long-lasting immunity from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Why that's really important is, when people are saying open the economy, let it just happen, is they're assuming there'll be long-term immunity, which may not be the case. The other thing people are forgetting is, we don't know, the, we don't know if there's long-term problems with having this disease. It's a new disease. We don't know what a six-month outcome looks like because no one's had it that long. And so we have to be cognizant that when you get more people out there, the other thing we don't know is right now the virus hasn't mutated all that much, but the more people who get the virus, then you run the risk of does it mutate into something worse. So people need to cool their, their brakes and just sort of back off a little bit and say, wait a minute, what am I asking for? Because because Bill, the country was built on life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. No matter how you slice your politics, that's what this country was built on, was life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Now, to some degree, we've, we've, you know, we've affected people's pursuit of happiness with closures. Schools are closed, place service. We've affected that. Some people have been isolated or quarantined, given up a little bit of liberty, and we thank them for doing that. But why is this all happening? These sacrifices are occurring so we can protect life. And what I'm getting at is, you don't want a situation like happened in Italy, where you have people who are sick, who could have gotten treatment, could have been on a ventilator, could have survived it, but couldn't because there wasn't the health system capacity. This country's never seen that kind of um, tragedy, nor does it ever want to. And there's certain lessons in life, I promise you, you don't need to learn from experience, you just need to take it at face value. That one, we don't know there's herd immunity. Two, you don't want to mutate the virus. Three, we don't know the long-term complications. Four, you can't overwhelm the healthcare system. And I just think if you take those four points I made, if you're someone who's just not seeing the big picture, I would just pray that you would consider thinking about what I just said. Prove me wrong. If you can prove me wrong, I'm surprised. And <laughs> I'm trying to be humble about this, my friend. But what I'm just yeah. saying is there's a reason why we're all taking caution with this. And there's a reason why we're all exercising some wisdom right now. And, and, you know, one of the things I just want to close with is patience is action. Patience may not seem like an action, but it is an action. And it's hard to be home doing nothing. 
Um, but it's it's important to be patient during this this season right now. Last 10 seconds right here. You've emerged as a fan favorite here in Rhode Island. Your uh, Rhode Island politics and media baseball card is increasing in value, so to speak. Would you ever do a radio show or your own podcast? Bill, I actually didn't even know there was a baseball card for people. And I, have, <laughs> I really don't follow this type of stuff. So, um, it, so it's intriguing, though. But it's funny. I want to give you a little story about me. When I was in high school, I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do for my career, but I wanted to be a DJ. I wanted to go into radio. And then I realized, well, I think I'll do something else and, and end up being a doctor instead. So I, I I feel like I love radio and I feel like I look a lot taller on radio. So I don't know, Bill. We have to keep that open to me. I got to keep my possibilities out there. Thanks so much, Doc. Appreciate it. And thanks for uh, the great work you're doing. And uh, look forward to, I guess, Sunday. That's your day up. We'll see you then. If not before. I'm the weekend guy. I'm the weekend guy. Thank you, Bill. You have a good day. You as well. Thank you so much. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. For updates on COVID-19's impact here in Rhode Island, plus a back catalog of nearly 200 episodes featuring some of your favorite Rhode Island media personalities, artists, and politicos, head over to ripodcast.com or search Bartholomew Town on your favorite podcast app.